Welcome to the Wealth Collective Podcast, where the goal is to make finance fun and accessible to everyday Australians, sharing tips and tricks on how people can improve their financial position and have a laugh along the way. The information contained on this podcast is general advice only and hasn't taken into account your personal circumstances. Before acting on any of the content you've heard, you should consult your own financial advisor to consider whether that is appropriate for you. Welcome, everyone, to the 12th episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. It's Friday, the 15th of February. I'm Zach Masters. And I'm Pete Pennycott. Pete, how's the week been? Uh, pretty good. So, big, big week of a lot of reading with the Royal Commission findings. So yeah. Bit Did of you get through all of it? or uh, no, so There was a sort of a 100-page excerpt that was really financial planning-centric, uh, so that's where I focus my energy and efforts. Nine, 950 pages <laughs> is a bit much. So, um, But yeah, get, getting through it and understanding what it looks like for our business. So, And what's on for the weekend? Uh, pretty quiet one, actually. So, um, not trying to do anything too crazy. I hear it's 30 degrees, so I might sort of duck around the Right. Uh, make use of her pool. Get so. in there. Yeah. Um, now, we've got a little one-year-old at home, Remy, and another one on the way. So we thought it's probably a good time to talk about um, saving for children and talking to your children about money and, and getting them smart around that. Um, so making your kids money smart is the theme of today's episode. Yeah. Um, and I thought we'll start with preschool. So the young young ones, um, how do parents get started there? Uh, this one's a little bit, of, it's, a, it's a tricky one. So obviously, developmental phase apparently happens from about sort of uh, reading some studies, you know, age three when it comes to sort of when they can learn some, you know, things surrounding money. So one of the things that um, some of the research is indicating is, you know, when you're in the sort of the grocery market line and there's all the chocolates and sort of little things to buy for a couple of bucks, actually saying no. Um, instead okay. of caving, I'm going to struggle. With Easier said than done. Yeah, so I think yeah, it's a few tantrums, but you've got to sort of keep riding out those tantrums and actually stick to your guns and sort of not get um, sucked into buying all those little treats and sweets and stuff like that. So, um, and I, what that's teaching is delayed gratification, which for the modern uh, modern modern people, um, it's pretty tough. So we all want everything now, and that sort of perpetuates to be you know one of those problems where we're just buying. Things that aren't sort of, you know, I think we've spoken about Mari Kondo, you know, not yep. bringing us joy, um, but in the instant of that moment, sort of spending money. So if we can uh, build in a little bit of impulse control uh, from a really young age, those money habits are sort of flowing through as sort of kids get older as well. So, yeah, um, that's a big one, I think. Yeah, and I think with that age, it's quite a hard age too because there's a lot um, going on. They're probably not starting to earn money yet and different things no. like that. Yeah, so I think it's just that habit of going, control your impulses, don't sort of rush into sort of just spending your money. Um, or not, you can't get everything that you want all the time is the main thing. So it's just more of a bit of a habit as opposed to really a money one. Yep. Um, but that comes in handy because I know when I was a young adult, my impulse control was pretty poor. So I think if I can build a little bit of that in. Um, but again, yeah, it's easier said than done, not, um, not caving to your beautiful child that you love yeah. and want to <laughs> give them everything. So um yeah, so that's what, that's probably the big lesson there. So um, I guess next up, what, primary school? Yeah, so we'll look at primary school, and this is probably when they start to get to an interesting age from a money perspective because a lot of them will probably, you know, start to be maybe looking to earn pocket money and different things like that. And um, what type of things can people be doing to educate at this stage? Uh, the big one here is, well, I don't know what your view is, allowances, yes or no. So do you, so do you give kids allowances? Yeah, I think it's a good training tool to kind of get budgeting and um, yeah. skills like that. Uh, in place from an early age, um, kind of letting them know that this is how much you got to spend 
each week and things like that, I think can be very beneficial. What's your thoughts? Yeah, jury's out. I sit on the other side of the fence. Okay. So I'm sort of, um, I don't think an allowance, especially if you're doing chores, you know, in terms of going, I think chores, that's sort of just p- being part of the family team. Um, yep. Being part of the family team, you've got responsibilities. Um, so I'm pretty big on that from a building that responsibility in from a pretty young age. Um, I don't mind the idea of getting paid for extraordinary jobs that you'd actually, you'd pay a third party to do. So, yeah, and that might be something like, okay, we need to paint the fence. So, yep, I'll give you like, you know, 50 bucks to paint the fence instead of going and paying a, a painter or something like that. Yeah. But if you're talking about just day-to-day sort of making your bed and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, in life you don't really get rewarded just for showing up. I think that's yeah. part of the problem. I think this... Yeah, you've grown up in that age where you've got a lot of fourth ribbons and stuff, I'm sure, (laughs) uh, just for participating. Um, No, but in all seriousness, I think you need to sort of just have the expectation that being part of the family, you you don't get rewarded financially for doing that. Um, And I don't mind the idea of if there's, you know, you want to buy a new pair of basketball boots, and that's what it was for me sort of when I was um, growing up. Didn't have an allowance. We had to sort of build the, the sales case for going, why do I need them? Yep. Obviously, I really needed them because yep. I was going to be a superstar. Um, <laughs> and it was too slippery with my old ones, you know, so you got to build excuse. a case. Um, and I think that sort of makes, for me, I think that makes a bit more sense than just sort of having this perpetual money coming in because then, I don't know, sort of creates a little bit of a sense of entitlement. Um, but I can see a case for how it could really work as well. So um, I think that's pretty pretty important. And I think it goes into the next one of going, do you pay an allowance if you are going to have it? Do you give it to them in cash or do you give them digital coins? Yeah, yeah. because obviously um, compared to when we were growing up, like the things are a bit different now and the cash is becoming a thing of the past almost for a, a lot of people. And in 10 years' time, who knows what that's going to look like. So what's your view on on that? Um, so for me, I would sort of err on – I'd go for cash. I think it hurts more when you spend cash. I think you actually – that's why sort of – when you go to the casino, they don't give you cash because you feel a hell of a lot worse betting if you sort of saw your cash out there. Yeah. Um, similar to that, you know, when you're looking at spending digital money, I don't think it holds that same weight. But it doesn't hurt as much when you spend it. Um, so I think really, as much as it's a little bit archaic, mm. paying that money in cash and potentially in small notes and stuff like that. So you sort of, you know, you have to fork them over if you're going to, you know, go buy something for 50 bucks and it's 10 notes. It actually feels quite substantial when you're sort of handing it over. Um, but, yeah, in terms of that's got its own problems about, you know, where do you keep it? Does it get lost? Yeah. Um, how do you track it? Uh, all those sort of things as well. But um, I do like the idea. I think it's sort of some, there's some tangible benefit actually seeing it seeing it there. Uh, if we're talking about primary school as well, coins are good because you know, you hopefully you know, you're not necessarily paying out massive amounts in some of the hundred dollar bills and stuff rolling <laughs> around. Pineapples going around. Um, so I think yeah, that a teacher's lesson, and it's sort of a, becoming a lost art. Yeah. Um, similar to how you know, a lot of these young kids in primary school nowadays sort of telling the time on an analog watch is sort of something that doesn't, it's not a skill that necessarily gets taught. Um, so I think those that um, is pretty important from a cash perspective. Now, would you be setting up with the primary school age group their own bank accounts and things like that or is yeah. that something you'd hold off? Hold no, no, on? I'd get it set up then. And I think um, I grew up in the days of Dolomites, so yep. I think it was a big deal. Uh, and a lot of people can actually remember back if they've actually physically gone into a bank and made a bit of an event of it of actually setting up a bank account. Um, bit of ownership makes you feel like a little bit of a financial adult. So I think the sooner you can do that, you know, getting the kids to engage. And I don't know what they're offering at the different branches, but I know sort of I used to work at ANZ and they had sort of these, you know, special piggy banks and stuff. So you can actually see, get your kids engaging with money and a savings. I think it's that savings ethos. So don't really, it's not all about spending the money, but hopefully building good 
you know, savings habits. Yeah. Um, that's really good. And you get to sit there and they make a bit of a bit of a fuss over you. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the branch stuff when you take I've got it. the cards now that look um, yeah, better can, and things like that. You can like put that. a photo on the sort of your debit card. Um, so I think there's a lot to be gained by actually making that a bit of an event, like a bit of a milestone. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it's something that sticks with them and they feel like a bit of a, you know, a, fo- a bit of a financial grown-up. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Now, I know you said cash, but there are some apps kind of in this space as well that are starting to work work on this particular age group. So I know yeah. one's like Spriggy either. Spriggy, you got quids. There's a there's a, few, a fair few out there, and that's where you basically you are giving them a digital allowance and going, hey, this is what you're spending. Um, and the really good thing about that is it's you know, teaching them goal setting. So you go, hey, I want to buy you know a new phone or something like that, and go, yep, I need to save up eight hundred dollars for that, and it lets them track the progress towards the goal. So I think yep. that works quite well. So if you are going to go down the digital route, I think linking it to some sort of goal setting device is really really powerful. And, and they even have the capabilities to, like, I know you said the tr- no to the chores side of things, but they do have ones where it's got a list of jobs. Yeah. Like, like you can do it with a dollar amount per job and then the child can go in and tick it off and then yeah. it gets paid and um, things like that, which is quite interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I, well, definitely I love the digital stuff, but I think there's a lot to be gained by going old school as well. So um, whatever's going to work best for you, I think that's... Um, that's what you sort of you got to go for. Cool. Is there anything else in the primary school group that we've missed, or? That um, well, one of the things I think is really just getting those open conversations. So starting from an early age, making sure money's not a taboo topic. So yeah. I think being open about it. Um, one of the things is I wouldn't be lying to your kids. I think when you sort of I know when I sort of went to um, yeah that shopping market line and going can we can we get this no. We can't afford it. And then you see sort of, um, you know, mum buying a coffee around the corner. Well, hang on a sec. This card is magic. and had no money five minutes ago. And now, all of a sudden, it's paying for something. Yeah. So, I think really making people value those decisions and there's a reason for it. So, if you can't get it, know that there's, there's a, a rationale for it. So, I think that's pretty important as well. Cool. So, we might move on to the teenagers um, now. So, probably these are the important years where a lot of the behaviours and things like that start to get formed. Um, and it's probably something that the school system does pretty poorly. Yeah, at the moment, like I know I'm not that that far out of high school, and like you come out of there not knowing how to do your taxes and having no idea what super is and all that type of stuff. Um, so what kind of tips do you have for for parents or anyone trying to educate children or teenagers on money? Uh, again, just keep talking about it. So it should be dinner table conversation that's pretty comfortable for everyone to have a yak about. Uh, I think getting started with some sort of investment. So um, whether or not it's superannuation because you do have access to the first home saver scheme now so it's not sort of locking it away for 60 until they're 60 years old um but getting them sort of like putting their part-time work you know if you're doing part-time work 20 percent of it gets put into an investment portfolio and giving them some say about where that goes so there's you want people engaging with it because the more you engage with it the more you're going to learn um so i think that's pretty important um now is it best to set up a proper investment portfolio with shares and things like that or um, micro investing nowadays is quite big with you know apps like Raise and, and yeah. so on, which used to be Acorns. Um, which way, which path would you go down for this type of investing? Uh, I think something diversified. I think letting your kids pick individual shares can be a bit hit and miss, and you might actually be like demotivating them. Yeah, can you imagine if they pick sort of um, I don't know. Babcock and Brown shares back in the GFC <laughs> or sort of um, something that's halved in value, like an AMP or something like that. Yeah. They're probably not going to feel that great about investing. Go, hang on, I put a put five hundred bucks in. I got two fifty left. That's not yeah. a, not really good. Whereas I think a divert 
teaching the benefits of diversification, those age-old fundamentals of investment, that works well. And managed funds are easy as well because instead of having to wait till 500 bucks every time before you can buy something, you can do it on a you know $100 here and there to sort of drop it in. Um, so I think that's pretty important. Um, does it actually need to be really in their name or you as trustee for them? I think that's less important as long as the, they can see the balance growing. Yeah. Um, and what you want to do is teach them the magic of compound interest. If you can reinforce that from a really young age and get people excited about it. And that's what I hope Rami one day goes, Dad. And he looks at his investment bond goes, or whatever. <laughs> how do I get more of this compound interest stuff? Really tell me more about it. Well, that'll yeah. be the, the proudest day as a, <laughs> a parent. So. With two financial planners as parents, I'm sure he'll um, eventually get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's the big one. I think percentages are a really good concept to learn um, at this stage. So enforcing, you know, what does it mean? So if something's growing by 2% versus 5% versus 7%, how does that impact what you're doing? Because um, that's the, the magic of long-term investing is all in the percentages just compounded over and over again. Um, and it also works on the flip side about teaching them why you know, having a, a credit card at negative 20% is not very not very compelling. So you want to get that drummed into them before they're legally allowed to get a credit card as well because yeah. uh, that can be a bit of a, a dangerous one. I know when I was really young, sort of when I got my first credit card, yeah, in the scheme of things, it wasn't big dollars compared to like having a look at it now, but at the time it felt like enormous to actually get that credit card debt paid down. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a trap for young players there. Um, the other thing to think about too is they're probably starting, you know, part-time work and casual work and things like that. Um, so we touched on super, but it's probably important that we, well, now more than ever with the Royal Commission findings out now, they're only going to have the one mm. super fund that you probably put a bit of work into picking what one. Yeah, I think so. Like, like taking an active role in it um, and talking, and that's where you can talk about the benefits of, you know, growth assets, diversification, you know, actively picking it. And that's something fun that parents and their children can actually do together. So, um, and it's money that has to go in anyway, and you know it's locked away, so you yeah. can actually watch that. So, um, I think it's a great opportunity to sort of learn some financial lessons, um, yeah, pretty early. So, And I think the idea of getting it, um, into their head early that it is their money, mm. like the super money is theirs, and that there's big benefits to be gained from that. Um, yeah, because I think what were we were listening to yesterday that if uh, someone just starting out has multiple super funds and the wrong insurances in each and things like that, they end up being almost half a million dollars worse off yeah. um, come retirement. So getting those types of of things in place early um, is probably yeah. probably a good thing. And the big bicky one is going showing the real benefit of like, even things like the first home saver scheme. Yeah. Um, you know, putting that in there, sort of teaching the benefits, the government co-contribution as well. So if you they put a bit of extra money in and then once the sort of tax returns lodged, and that's an exciting time when you've got a casual job because mm. generally you have your peak periods over Christmas, so you're overpaying on the tax. Um, so you get some money back, but then also show them their statement and going, oh, here's what the government has kicked into your super for you as well uh, if you're doing some extra contributions because I think those extra contributions early you got to think that's going to compound for, you know, something like 30, 40, 50 years. It's pretty yeah. exciting stuff. So Yeah. And is there anything else in the teenage bracket that you would be looking at uh, um, to touch on? No, I think that's about it. I think really just setting those foundations of the benefits of saving. So, yeah, might even, you know, do something in terms of matching dollar for dollar what they're saving just to sort of really reinforce and get them pumped about it. So. Cool. Um, so we'll move on next to probably, um, well, the teenage one's interesting, but the one where... They're starting to earn proper money and, um, you know, probably getting their first full-time jobs and things like that, and that's the young adults. Um, so what tips have you got in this area? 
this is probably the toughest one because you know you lose a bit of control. So generally, they're probably still under the roof of you know they're still living at home until they're I don't know thirty or so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know you want to give them some autonomy, and if they do want to spend, have big expenses, you know, making them pay pay the way for those. I think that's pretty important. I think the credit card is a really, really sensitive one. Um, I don't know exactly how easy it is to get a credit card for an 18-year-old now, but um, I still think there's a the risk there if you get credit, um, credit cards too early without the proper understanding, even $1,000. You know. Well, I think even now young adults have fallen into that afterpay yeah. trap and things like that. Yeah, that's a good as well. Point, yeah. um, so like even... That type of thing is making sure they're aware of the, the traps associated because it's quite easy to fall fall down. And then once you're stuck in there, um, it can be pretty hard to get out. Yeah, no, 100%. I, look, I haven't sort of jumped on and done my afterpay, but it, it seems way <laughs> too easy to sort of get access to you know, chunks of money and you know, late fees of, what are they, 50 bucks a pop or something like that. Yeah, well, that delayed gratification thing you're talking about with the, the preschool. Oh, it's the exactly kids, the opposite. Um, yeah, it's the opposite with afterpay. Get what you want and pay for it later. Yeah, so look, I think that they're the things to be um, pretty conscious of. I think understanding and getting building savings and teaching them to build a cash buffer, that's really important. And that's really hard to do when you're young because you sort of want to go out. You know, you're talking about your drinking age, you want to go out on a weekend with your mates and spend it. You're probably not earning a hell of a lot either. Um, yeah. So really trying to reinforce some sort of savings capacity. Um, and it's really a sort of a difficult tightrope to walk because you've sort of got a little bit less control and you want them to do... You need to let them make some sort of mistakes themselves because that's how we learn. Uh, but ultimately, just giving them a sort of a safe place to come to, and um, so they feel open and sort of comfortable to have a chat to you about it. Yeah, and then we got we have touched on the first home super saver scheme, but it probably starts to become more relevant for this age group as they potentially yeah. start to look. Yeah, and it might not be the kids that are the driver of thinking, "Oh, yeah, I want to own a house in my twenties," because that's not a major sort of goal for a lot of you know really young people mm. I'm, th I'm sort of thinking when we're talking young adults about 18 to 23 year olds yeah um so i think when you're looking at that you've got a sort of a bigger picture lens than what your child generally has so i think you not having that foresight of going hey this might be important to you you know put you know 500 bucks or something every year or so even if it's a thousand dollar co-contribution going in and if you're doing mm. part-time work it can make you make a big impact so um, and, you know, you should be there as a bit of a guide for your, your children as well and sort of, you know, you know, extolling the sort of the virtues of what, what this sort of means if you actually do it every year and you're out. Yeah. The other thing I'd touch on too is if they are getting full-time work or starting full-time work, that income protection is probably something that's worthwhile to have a quick discussion about because locking it in early whilst they're young, healthy, um, there's huge savings to be made over yeah. the long term there. Oh, absolutely. And then you can do that through super as well. So it doesn't need yeah. to come out of their pocket. Um, so there are ways you can do that. And, you know, while you're fit young, well, you're probably never going to be fitter and well, you're definitely not going to be any younger. <laughs> um, then when you're sort of in that age bracket, mm. you know, it is important to sort of lock a, you know, a little bit of that away for the long term. Um, yeah, so I'd sort of agree pretty strongly on that one. Um, and then from the investment side, is there things that you should be looking at setting up at this age? Or? Yeah, well, hopefully you've done it as a teenager. So they've got a yep. portfolio running. They now have it in their own name as well, so they've got full control. Um, but if you are in some of those, maybe those micro-investing apps and things like that, would you change out of that? Or uh, It depends on how much you've got. I think the, you know, the vehicle is important, but it's not the sort of be-all and end-all. I think this, this time is really not getting too obsessed about you need to make the biggest returns ever. It's all the behavioural habits that will set you up because if you get the right habits in force, when you get into your 30s and beyond, when you're actually making really good money, you're probably, you know, you're considering having a mortgage and all those sort of things. Um, 
that's when these habits set you set the sort of foundations up really really well. Um, but I think if you can get the that velocity and that percentage is right. So talked about the percentages and going, hey, save twenty percent of your um, income. Hmm. That's great because as that income keeps creeping up, and if you've sort of hardwired that in the heads of going twenty percent always goes towards savings. Yeah, that's that you've sort of fought half the battle there already, and that's um yeah you've set them up pretty well that they're actually going to have a really good sound financial base. They're not going to be like you know a lot of people when they sort of reach sort of early early adulthood in you know in the tw- late twenties and thirties going oh okay I do want a house now yep, that deposit's really big. <laughs> yeah. how the hell do I save for it that's yep. already been done. Yeah, um, and you had the benefit of five to ten years compound interest yeah um, as well yeah and no, so i think that's a big one cool um is there anything else you'd like to add or anything you think we've missed no i think just look have, have a chat make sure you know finances you don't have to share everything you know but i think open conversations about money just sort of lifts it out of the sort of the the back room sort of uh, taboo subjects yeah that's really exciting because it just means if something goes wrong financially Better to be dealing with these things so you can share them um, openly uh, as a little bit of a team approach. Um, you know, if there's family budgeting parts of that, you're comfortable sharing with your kids. You know, um, I think that all sort of helps because what you're going through, they're potentially going to experience similar things themselves. They're going to have families themselves. So all of these lessons you can set up, mm. um, very, very exciting. And, yeah, the more engagement, the better. And, you know, sometimes there is some benefit in engaging a, an impartial third party in, in the process as well because I know... A lot of our clients were sitting in on meetings with their kids, yeah. and sometimes parents leave the, the room so we can have a chat because uh, you know the same um, lesson told by someone else other than your parents sometimes resonates a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know at that age you're not necessarily wanting to listen to your parents about um, for advice all of the time. <laughs> so. No, I don't think so. Um, so yeah, I think that's it, and um, yeah, just get started. Look, if there's any suggestions you've got, we're happy to hear the tips because we'll pass them on. Because, um, yeah, it's different for everyone and sort of even on the things we've disagreed on. Mm. Yeah, there's multiple paths to goal, but I think just sort of um, having, yeah, focusing on building that knowledge and you don't need to be a money smart sort of expert yourself yeah. to actually build these good habits for your kids. Cool. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Wealth Collective Podcast. We hope you got something out of today. And if you have anything in particular you want to hear from us, then send us an email or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those. Um, thanks for listening and thank you to Pete for joining me today and sharing your insights. Happy happy to be here. Um, Join us again next time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast service, and send through any questions you have to connect at bacata.com.au. Thanks for tuning into the Wealth Collective podcast. You can get in touch with us and send any questions to connect at bacata.com.au or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. If you have enjoyed this, then please subscribe and five-star us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Until next time, live well and be prosperous.